Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to The London is Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast presented by World Soccer Shop. Head on over to www.worldsoccershop.com for the best Chelsea gear around. It's the stuff we wear and use ourselves. So we're back in the Premier League, friends, and yes, we have Nick and Dan, but here's the deal. A lot has happened this week, more so in the last 70, 72 hours, so we brought in reinforcements. Thankfully, Liam Toomey from ESPN FC is here. Welcome to the podcast, Liam. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're so excited. Nick, Dan, welcome as well. Nick, hopefully you were able to catch the match per usual. Of course. That's what we do. We know. I, you know, I just want to call it out saying you were on the Twitter, making sure everyone was tight in line, not getting too crazy. Yeah, a lot of trolls this week, Brandon. I had to, I had to do a little bit of a digging back uh, via the podcast account. So I think it was more stroking the flame, but yeah, you got to <laughs> a little sometimes, bit of both. Man, it was, it was like the whole, the whole week had just set people into crazy mode. It was a crazy, crazy week. Uh, but before we jump into the match, let's go ahead and uh, ask Liam some questions. Nick, I think you've got the first one lined up. 
Right. Hey, so, you know, we do this with all of our first time guests, Liam. So uh, we're going to ask you to sing a song. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, so how long have you covered Chelsea? Uh, for ESPN, just over a year. So since last December, Mourinho was sacked in my second week. Wow. <laughs> Nothing notable there then. No, no. So it was quite a frantic start. but And then the 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 calm of Hiddink, which was probably uh, worse than the, the manic last days of Mourinho. That lull was not the most exciting time for us covering Chelsea. We're sitting here trying to have something to talk about on a podcast and good old Uncle Goose just not giving us anything. <laughs> Nothing but draws. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Dan, what about you? Yeah, I'd love to know. Uh, obviously, Conte has uh, a lot of different uh, you know, sayings and phrases, loves the word work a lot. I wonder mm-hmm. if you have any uh, favorite uh, idioms maybe that he uses or different sayings that you enjoy of his. Um, I think the we have to continue to work is the, 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 the strong favorite just because it's present in almost every answer. If you keep him talking long enough, he'll, he'll eventually come back to that. One of the more troublesome ones is he has, a, he has a bad habit, because he's still learning English, of starting his answer by going, yeah, but. And if it's a, it's a potentially incendiary question, like, does Diego Costa have a future at Chelsea? <laughs> or or, do you, or is, has there been a bid from China? And he goes, yeah, but. Um, more mischievous-minded journalists than myself might take a a few liberties with a with an affectation like that so yeah you need to be careful he needs to be more careful i think but he, he just says it while he's thinking of the answer he's still getting used to english yeah his filler that's his go-to and yeah, now exactly. we, we learned today you bring him cake i guess yesterday <laughs> well that was lester i can't claim credit for that lester um everywhere we go on all the away trips we always rate the press food uh, pretty much all the conversations I have with other journalists come back to the, the press buffet at different clubs. Chelsea's is particularly strong. But Leicester's was very good. Um, and in particular, they had four or five different very good cakes. If I have one criticism of Conte, I don't have many. It was that he picked the wrong cake when he came into the press conference. <laughs> there was a really nice chocolate orange number that he, he passed over. And I think the one he had was more of a coffee cake type thing. Well, you know, he unfortunately he's not coming back this season as far as we can tell. So he's going to have to do a better job scoping it out uh, next time. <laughs> uh, last question, just real quick, is your most memorable moment so far as a journalist? So even maybe before your time at ESPN or covering Chelsea, what's kind of like been the big standout moment where you're like, holy crap, I can't believe, A, I'm getting paid to do this, and B, I'm here live? Yeah, I think um... – well, I mean, last Christmas was quite good because I was one of the journalists that was invited to have a beer with Conte, uh, Christmas beer with Conte, which was pretty cool. Um, but my probably my best moment in journalism, uh, not necessarily ESPN related, was I was lucky enough to go to the World Cup in Brazil um, nice. in 2014, and it was Argentina-Bosnia. So I got to see Messi play and score at the Maracanã, which was pretty, pretty, pretty special. It's one of those moments where you kind of pinch yourself. That is, I mean, that is pinnacle stuff right there. I mean, World Cup, that is as big as it gets. So props to you, man. Um, Let's see, Nick, I believe it's your turn to read out some iTunes reviews. We had 
one from the UK or two from the UK store and uh, three from the US. So let's give them uh, shout outs by name real quick. Right. Yeah. So back to the old powder keg to give you a shout out. So uh, Marvin number one. There we go. Um, got a nice five star from you and an incredibly uh, nice comment. Um, CFC girl ninety nine. Fantastic. Uh, great to great to see you in. And then Dansby. Hmm. If only we knew someone named Dan. I'm thinking Dan's trying to get some credit in here. Yeah, Thanks, that, d- that definitely is not my iTunes review name. But I, I, <laughs> was it all. was it CFC girl ninety nine? Then I'm trying exactly. To yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, and then Teddy B and Stanford Bridge one two one. Thank you guys so much for uh, for plugging us and, and and rating us on iTunes. If you want to be shouted out by Dan next week, go do yourself the same, and Dan will give you a nice little comment. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, to kick this off, let's go ahead and talk about a little special that we still have for our fans, Nick. That's right. So, you know, just coming off of those sweet iTunes reviews, we want to keep the positivity rolling. We still have a few $10 hookups for worldsoccershop.com that expire on the 31st. So uh, all you have to do, just tweet at us. You've seen plenty of this if you followed our Twitter account over the last week. And, uh, and we will DM you a $10 uh, gift card to World Soccer Shop just for, for being a fan of us, Dan. Yeah, I think it's a great way for us to connect with you, hook you up, and uh, maybe you want to get an Alonzo jersey after this week too. And uh, $10 would be helpful towards that. All right. Well, you know what, guys? As Conte said in his post-match press conference, it would be a disservice to the players who played today if we didn't talk about their performance. So we're going to go ahead and lead off with the match, and then we'll talk about Diego Costa in part two, I promise. So Leicester City back in the Premier League action over at the King Power Stadium. Um, what's it like there compared to other stadiums, Liam? I mean, maybe even Stamford Bridge, since that's probably what most of our listeners are familiar with. Sure. Um, it's quite a nice stadium. But what I find with three or four of the Premier League stadiums is they they do have a kind of generic design to them. Leicester is, uh, the King Power is quite similar to the Liberty Stadium, Swansea Stadium, and uh, a, a couple of others where it's just a, a similar sort of um, sort of flat pack stadium design. There's not a great deal of character to it, these these group of stadiums that were built in the last three or four years. But the atmosphere was generated by the fans, as it always is, and the Leicester fans were very good. They played a a, a moving montage to Ness and Dorma of last season's Premier League title <laughs> triumph, which was. Uh, it, it felt like even more of a a dream, even more surreal now when you look at the Premier League table and the different context, you know, to Chelsea coming at this time. But uh, it, it really got the crowd going pre-match and I think it made um, the start of the game quite difficult for Chelsea because the, the fans were really up for it and so were the players. Well, the match was this past Saturday, in case you missed it. Uh, back to the normal Premier League schedule. I loved it. And... Scoreline, Blues 3, Foxes 0. Uh, Dan, you know what time it is, lineup time. Had some questions coming into this, but the team was coming off, what, 10 days rest? Yeah, a little extra time to uh, to prepare and get ready. And, you know, obviously in the absence of, of Diego Costa, you know, gave Conte one less conundrum putting the other lineup because he could feel Pedro and William up top with Hazard pretty easily. Had Alonzo, Matic, Conte, Moses, 
running down the midfield area. Then you had Cahill, Luis, and Aspilicueta uh, all ahead of Tibor Courtois. So just uh, you know, really minor change, kind of taking out Costa and putting in you know both Pedro and William, which is giving him selection problems because they're both kind of hit. You know, one game one is scoring goals, the next game the other is scoring goals, and, and this game he has get to take advantage of both. What about uh, in the press box? Liam? Any like big surprises or you know? I know there's a lot of talk about Conte coming back, but I mean, what did you guys kind of talk about when the lineup sheet came out and what you were hoping to see? Um, well, it was—I mean, it was all about Costa. We were—we were kind of hoping at that stage that he wasn't in the team because it would have looked bad for a lot of journalists. Uh, <laughs> we'd, we'd all reported the day before that he was dropped, um, but we were once once that story became clear, we were all expecting uh, Hazard to play as a false nine as he did against Bournemouth. That is definitely. Um, Conte's go-to plan B ahead of Michy Batshuayi. Uh, and the, the midfield, I think he, he he tends to favour Matic for games against teams that he feels will be more physical. He, he tends to go with Matic over Fabregas. Kante, obviously, always plays because he's, he's superb. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Uh, Nick, we had plenty of goals and we didn't have to wait long. Uh, for Marco Alonso to open the score line in the sixth minute. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this was uh, probably, I would say, one of the most important goals of the season, kind of given all the shenanigans that happened uh, prior in, in the week with, with Costa. So to start off the game, you know, a great little layoff from Ed Hazard after a, a pretty great cross from Espilicueta uh, and Mark Alonso takes advantage with his weaker right foot. Uh, I thought he just slotted it home perfectly. So, yeah, fantastic way to start. I think a huge sigh of relief from most Chelsea fans. It was great. Dan, second goal. Again, Alonso on the double. So what I liked about this is Chelsea started strong and then even came out at halftime looking just as strong. 51st minute, Alonso back at it again. Yeah, you know, he was able to uh, kind of notch a, another goal forward, and you know, I think there's a lot of thought about you know whether it be credited as a, an own goal, but it, it was a you know shot on target, and uh, it was nice to see that uh, you know he was able to to try it also with the uh, the other foot too, you know, so he was able to get one with the uh, you know weak foot, one with the strong foot, uh, just missing out on uh, the header to seal out the trifecta in this match. But uh, what a, what a Great game for him, considering you know some of the flack that he had uh, you know received, especially after you know, Ake was recalled, and people were wondering if that was spelling uh, doom and gloom for uh, for Alonso on some uh, some Twitter timelines this past week. Well, speaking of flack, really quickly, I apologize for tweeting out too soon that it was going to be an own goal because I had about ninety people tweet at me that it was going to the shot was going to be on target originally. So. To all those who jumped the gun on me pretty hard there, I apologize. And I just saw the replay a little later than you did. <laughs> well, it was nice to see, too, the the amount of space he was getting that caused that. You know, you saw a lot of uh, Albrighton just kind of getting drawn back into the midfield. And it's very easy to do when you have Matic drawing your attention away. You have Conte drawing attention away. You have all the things that are going on with Moses and William on the right side. So to, to free him up, he had way too much space the entire match to play around there. Well, it is a little bit different. Uh, I think we'll talk about Marcus Alonso's performance here in a second. But, Dan, you did tee us up very well uh, talking about that header because that is what Pedro did in the 71st minute to seal the deal for Chelsea. Uh, A bit of a ballet-esque spinning back heel. I'm not sure, Liam, if that's the official uh, name for that. But he found Moses out wide. 
uh, and then got a nice deflection chip, or I'm sorry, William out wide, and uh, got it back to Pedro, who surprisingly scored a header. Yeah, I mean, it's he's not known for it, but he is known for having a very, very cool head um, in the final third. He's, I think he's probably Chelsea's best finisher after Costa. And I, I, I always thought, even when he was at Barcelona, that he was the their second best finisher after Messi. He's very, very good with both feet. And clearly when you put an empty net in front of him and one defender to loop the ball over, he can head the ball in as well. But it was a really nicely worked goal. And Chelsea were trying that sort of move all game, the little one-touch passes between Pedro Hazard and, and Willian. And they're able to do that even more easily when Costa's not in the team. So true. So, so true with those three connecting up top. But another win and a clean sheet for the Blues as we bounce back from the loss at Tottenham. And at least in my opinion, take away doubt from the other teams chasing us that will just throw points away easily. Uh, Conte is going to make sure that teams earn it against us. So question number one. Marcos Alonso. He's been under so much heat recently, specifically on Twitterverse, probably not so much at Cobham. And then I think, you know, conveniently reports emerge that he's been carrying this injury for most of the season. So, Nick, with today's performance, it seems like he bounced back nicely from all that rest. And maybe we're starting to see some signs of that beginning of the season, Alonzo. Yeah, I think the main thing that um, was kind of released in the in the week was... Uh, that he had been carrying that injury, um, you know, at least our podcast didn't uh, really know that and cover it. So um, I, I think that might be a huge part of this. And then also, you know, just like we've seen with other positions on the pitch, you know, Pedro and William going back and forth, Sesk and, and Matic and Conte going back and forth, competition breeds better performances. So if Ake is seen as kind of a, a threat to his position and, and especially coming back after being recalled, then I think we're going to get probably a, a pretty stiff competition there and, and more than likely some better play out of the entire deal. Ake has returned, but as a center back, according to Conte, lots of people are speculating that he can be a strong left wing back. What do you think, Liam, or maybe what have you heard kind of, in, in regards to that specifically with Ake, maybe giving some competition or even backup to Alonso? Well, I asked um, I asked Conte about this on Friday at his press conference, actually. I asked him specifically whether he'd tried Ake at, at wingback in training during the week. Um, and that was when he said that he's only, he's only really assessed him as a, as a centre-back at the moment. Um, but I do think that's definitely in his plans. He's mentioned at every opportunity Ake's versatility in a number of positions um, and the one obvious hole in this squad is the the lack of another natural left footer to compete with Alonso if if he has been carrying an injury for some weeks now then it's even more clear that Chelsea need cover in that position and I don't think Conte is convinced that Kennedy can provide that I would expect him to go back on loan um, but I mean, Ake's already shown that he's Premier League quality and he, he played at left-back at, at Watford last year. So you can imagine that wing-back wouldn't be a huge transition for him. Well, that's it's good to have options, obviously. And you think that Conte is serious about him because he was getting good minutes at Bournemouth. Thank you. Now I have to buy a new centre-back in my fantasy Premier League team. <laughs> uh, question number two, Dan, without getting into discussion about... 
well, Diego Costa. Uh, we'll do that later. How did the front three attackers look today? Um, I thought I'd give you some context. Today, the three created five chances, three shots on goal, three goals. But when we have Costa leading the line throughout this uh, win streak that we had, 13 out of 14, we were creating 14, 15, 16 or more chances a match. So was this just a benefit from the run of form we were in or more because we had an actual striker? Uh, so uh, not allowed to mention the striker who will not be named. <laughs> can, cannot go into that. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I think that there was a lot of opportunity early on. Um, and I think that for Leicester, who were really controlling and pushing Chelsea back and, and forcing us to kind of play out a little bit deeper, there are a couple of times where, you know, even Courtois was kind of passing out of the back, you know, to either Cahill or to um, Aspilicueta to get the ball kind of moving forward. And, and so I think there was a little bit of, of pressure early on that forced us to figure out how to work again with with that false nine and with that forward attacking, because there's, there's a lot of interchange. You look at some of the, the passing maps and, and actually Pedro and Anne Hazard kind of had a high level of overlap too. So, you know, they were kind of working interchangeably. And I think that also presents a bit of a challenge too, is because you don't necessarily know who should be as far forward. And it's really just trying to counter on, on the attack. And I think Costas is so much more physical and that's a more imposing force, especially against uh, Huth who is definitely doing his best to uh, skirt the line of, of cautions and uh, Morgan uh, that uh, you know, it was, uh, it was not as easy. I think as maybe we thought to kind of crack, crack the goals open, but uh, I think the the shots were converted. And I think what we hadn't seen sometimes previously past couple of games is we'd have a shot, but we wouldn't convert it. And we were a little bit more clinical with the opportunities we had this game. Yeah, I mean, you can't be more clinical than 100% of shots on goal to goals. But, uh, Liam, you talked about kind of the fluidity and the small interchanging passes that uh, the top three had today. Obviously, that's something that we don't get uh, with the one we won't talk about right now. Um, what did you think about it, I guess? Obviously, last time we did it against Bournemouth, also 3 nothing. Well, I think the, big, the biggest achievement um, of that system is that you can't really tell that anyone important is missing. Um, and clearly it's a small sample size, Bournemouth at home, Leicester away. It's only two games, but 3-0, 3-0 is pretty emphatic. And um, it works particularly well because Hazard's natural instinct is to drop deep as a false nine, but Pedro's natural instinct is to attack the space in behind. So they, they complement each other really well. And I think that's part of the reason why you've seen Pedro um, explode in terms of scoring in the, in the last few weeks, because he, he can provide that that penetration um, off the ball and be found with the, the passes over the top or, or in behind the defence. And Willian is just a really solid uh, performer. And they're, they're all excellent at carrying the ball vertically at pace on the counter-attack. So whether Chelsea are in possession or out, out of possession, it ensures that they're always dangerous. All right, Nick, I mean, what about you? I know sometimes you like a little bit more of the direct smash it into the back of the net kind of approach, but did you like the dance, the ballet dance it was up top? Yeah, I think the uh, the thing with the false nine is that it's a little tricky um, to defend against. And I think with the larger center backs to have to watch those runs all game would probably get exhausting just from a mental standpoint. So I think there's some value there. But, I mean, I think the, the major thing that we missed in, in periods of the game was anyone to hold the ball up. And there were times where Ed Nazard was coming back to get the ball from, you know, either 
uh, Matic or a center back because um, you know I, I that that system is not going to be fruitful for very uh, much of the season. So I think the the main thing that you know we kind of have to look at is playing against bigger center backs and Hazard not having to drop as deep. But I think the false nine can definitely work. So far, so good. It seems like once we've made the switch uh, for the 3-4-3, everything Antonio Conte has done has just worked, and it's been fantastic. So I think this is a really good chance uh, to ask our true or false question. Uh, is Pedro quietly, or maybe not quietly, the MVP of the team right now, just the most consistent number one performer? Nick, you know where do you stand on this, true or false? I mean, in the last, I would say in the last two months, it is readily apparent that he is uh, stepped up his game. And I don't, you know, to go as far as MVP, I'm not sure, but uh, he has certainly provided uh, something that we didn't have before. And so, yeah, I mean, if it's true-ish, I'm going to go with that. He's uh, outperformed my expectations. I'll put it that way. Dan? Uh, there, there's a certain unnamed player that uh, I would say is probably still the MVP of the team. Uh, but, but, but Pedro has, I think, excelled far, I think, beyond any of our expectations at the beginning of the season. So uh, credit to him for great work. But uh, no, not not the MVP. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Liam, what about you as far as Pedro's performances this season? I, I wouldn't go as far as MVP. I've, the way I've always seen Pedro is that he's a he's a system star. He, he works and you get the best out of him when the system is working and when you put him in the right role. Um, he had that at Barcelona. He didn't have that last season at Chelsea. Now he does. Um, the, the people that I think have been two names that we haven't mentioned that have been equally important to this run. And Golo Kante is, is incredible almost uh, on a daily basis. And um, it, he makes it so routine what he does in central midfield that, he, he people stop talking about him, but he is remarkable. And the other one is David Luiz. There's a reason why uh, Conte is still playing him, although he's even though he's basically on one leg. If you look at the strapping that seems to be growing game by game on that on that right <laughs> leg since the Aguero tackle, um, he's crucial with his passing and and the balance he gives that defence from the middle. Yeah, no doubt about the impact that uh, those two summer signings have made. Uh, definitely. Uh, a little bit surprised with Louise in a good way, uh, but Conte is unbelievably consistent. Uh, I would say false as well, just because I know a lot of you guys are really excited with how Pedro has been performing lately. Uh, yeah, but I think we'd have to take it into consideration. William did have a really good game a couple weeks ago, and we even said, man, do you even bring Pedro in or do you keep William? And I think that just the fact that he's not absolutely must play every single game close, but not quite, would tend to make me say not the MVP. Uh, last question for this one, a little bit of a, of a reactionary one, but you guys hit us up with, with it. So we're going to cover it. Is it time for Cahill and Zuma to start splitting time? Because, well, Cahill looked a little bit shaky against Lester. Um, you know, Nick, I guess, as far as you're concerned, I think Zuma looked a little bit shaky when we've seen him. Um, he's still getting his feet underneath him, but are, do you think that there's enough evidence from Cahill to say maybe we should try to integrate Zuma back more quickly? This is really tough because I think a lot of us and, and maybe the four on this show you know, really want to see Zuma make his full comeback. Um, I don't think this will happen in immediate 
in an immediate sense because uh, you know Conte is incredibly loyal to the lineup that uh, is winning games for him, or or in you know American slang, he's gonna dance with the uh, the girl he brought. So I think the you know the immediate answer is no, but you know there there are times where Gary Cahill looks world class, and there are times when he looks like a championship player, and I'm not sure week to week how how to predict that. Um, he, he struggles with people running at him, or I think Zuma does not as much just due to athleticism and tackling instincts. So, I mean, a, a couple more off performances and, and we'll see, but not in the immediate term. Dan, Dan, set him straight. Did you see the bicycle kick today? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great attempt. If that had gone in, uh, I think that would have been better than Annie Carroll's goal. <laughs> Can we play him at striker or what? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we've done it before John Terry and Everton last year. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we could, that would be a good opportunity. Um, no, I, I think you're not going to see a rotation in that point. I, I think Zuma probably in the FA Cup match coming up gets another shot. Um, maybe some substitution minutes. But yeah. Gary Cahill gets slagged for when he is doing the worst thing but puts in – you know, 70, 80 minutes where he's, you know, super solid and no one notices those. So I don't think we're ripe for a change while we're continuing to uh, to win. Yeah, you know, I think obviously we get a little shaky after a loss to Tottenham, dusted ourselves off, starting a new winning streak and, and just you know, got to move forward. Yeah, Liam, I mean, we try to be, uh, you know, that 10,000 foot view and not try to be too reactionary. Uh, that's just kind of the way the three of us think. Obviously, you know, a lot of people on Twitter are different and they will say, ax him today. The next week they love him. Um, I guess, what do you think of Zuma as far as his progress? And then maybe like an overall on Cahill. Um, whenever I've seen Zuma, I went to Cobham a few weeks back before he was even playing um, competitive development games and just saw him play a game at Cobham. He looked incredibly rusty. He's steadily gotten better. Um, but I think you saw against Peterborough, the the incident that actually saw John Terry sent off, there's a mistake from Zuma in the build-up. He doesn't intercept the pass, which allows the striker to to isolate Terry one-on-one, which is never good. Um, so I think, yeah, he's he's he would even before he got injured, Zuma wasn't positionally very polished. His athleticism got him out of trouble quite a lot. I think he's a fantastic prospect, but Conte wants to work with him, particularly positionally and tactically over the next few weeks on the training ground. Um, Cahill has has performed very solidly, particularly over the winning run. There have been the odd dodgy moment, and I think Tottenham showed that that flank is the one that you can exploit with him and Alonso in front of him, who's probably the Chelsea's weakest defender. Um, but Cahill is doing okay. He's probably the one long-term who's most at risk out of that back three. But I think for the time being, as long as Chelsea keep winning and really not giving Thibaut Courtois too much to do, uh, I don't think Conte will see any need to change it. All right. Well, fair play. Uh, Any other thoughts from this match? Obviously, I gave my special shout-out to Cahill for that bicycle kick. Um, There is We retweeted from at PA Dugout because they had a phenomenal angle uh, on the photo. I mean, big man getting up, made sweet contact. Uh, but Dan, anything else that uh, we maybe missed that you want to bring bring to our attention? Uh, no, I mean I just think it was a it was a great match. It was also uh, you know nice to see uh, RLC get some minutes after a pretty 
great performance in the uh, the FA Cup match. Uh, you know, again, you always wish uh, Mishi would get a few more minutes, but you know, it's also about uh, you know making sure your your eleven stay fresh. So it's not always about taking the minutes there just to use them to to use them, but it's about keeping players think aware positionally, trying out different things, and and really we're playing the false nine, which really we've only played you know two times. So this might not have been the game to experiment as much when. You're also looking to get players at game speed practicing the mentality to play this way uh, because it gives us then another option. Maybe five, six games from now, maybe, you know, Costa gets you know suspended a game, maybe his injury continues. Like this gives us another option and you want to get that really solid before you start experimenting too much with it. Yeah. Nick, what about you? Uh, one, I would add that uh, RLC's goatee needs to to take a hike. That is pretty gnarly. Um, we we saw some uh, some pretty funny comments on Twitter saying that he's growing a goatee so that Conte thinks of him as a man and wants to play him more. So that was pretty hilarious, and uh, you know, always good to see him get on the pitch. I think the the thing that we have to kind of finish up business with here is the man of the match poll, which uh, Alonzo won uh, going away. Uh, I, I did put a little cheeky Antonio Conte option at the bottom that got 8% because I, I feel like he uh, was a, a true leader kind of during the, the craziness. Uh, so uh, a lot of heat uh, for Hazard being in there. Uh, I always get it wrong, though, so that shouldn't really be a surprise, Brandon. Yeah, there's there's no winning on that. Uh, Liam, obviously, um, you've got a very in-depth view on this already uh, read through the article you posted kind of the reaction about the Casa stuff in the match, but anything else maybe that we've missed that you think is important to, to pull out of this from the performance. Um, I'm not, I think what was, what struck me most was that it was another game where you maybe look at it on the fixture list, despite the fact that Leicester lost a few players to the African nations uh, and it might have been a good time to play them. It's another game you look at the fixture list and think that could be a tricky one for Chelsea going away from home. And for the first 20 minutes, maybe, you know, the the result was, was a little bit in the balance, but Courtois was never seriously threatened. And it was another game that they just kind of wore the other team down without giving them anything. Courtois had two saves to make in the entire match. One of them, I don't think, was even a shot. So they're not they're not giving other teams very much. And and it, for the same reason that I thought after the Tottenham defeat they didn't need to be too worried, is that I don't think too many teams have the players that Tottenham have to cause this system that many problems. As long as they can keep the the key performers fit and performing at this level, they're going to be very hard to stop. Indeed, it is a good sign of strength in that, you know, like you said, Tottenham was a bit of a one-off in the fact that it was a unique team with a unique skill set, but Chelsea are indeed here for the long haul. So as it stands, Chelsea are on top of the table, 52 points, Spurs making a massive jump to second on 45 points, overtaking Liverpool, who are also on 45 points, Tottenham with a surprising plus four goal difference over Liverpool. Arsenal, well, you know where they're at. And then the <laughs> Manchester clubs, City in fifth, United in sixth. Uh, Dan, United doing some some nice work for us, uh, taking the wind out of Liverpool's sails. Now, when you uh, pay someone eight million pounds to sever a package, maybe you can hope for, uh, for a couple points <laughs> to go your way. <laughs> I, would, only- I would also really quickly add that Everton just – completely smacked Manchester City today and that was not even remotely close so 
I think you're looking at a scenario where this top four right now might be the top four going forward. What a crazy thought that would be. Uh, Liam, what are kind of your thoughts on the top six as it stands? Obviously, Chelsea in a really strong position with, uh, you know, some title contenders dropping points. But, man, Tottenham especially are on a hot run as well. Yeah, absolutely. Putting Chelsea under pressure. Um, but I think they're the ones that are put it, putting everyone else under pressure at the moment. If you see the way Manchester City performed and what happened between Manchester United and Liverpool, everything else is is falling their way, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I think all the other all the other teams keep giving them points, uh, keep extending the lead. So it's all going Chelsea's way, apart from one notable topic which developed over the weekend. But on the pitch. Uh, in terms of what Conte's doing with the team and the pressure that he's putting on the rest of the league, it all, it all looks very, very good for Chelsea. All right, Chelsea fans. Well, I promised you we will talk about the Diego Costa situation, and that is coming up uh, right after we've got an exciting little offer going on at World Soccer Shop, Dan. Yeah, you know, uh, I know, Nick, uh, it's a little cold in Kansas City this weekend. That's right. Uh, you're, you're snowed in, actually. Is that is that accurate? Iced in. Ice, bro. Yeah, yeah. That is, uh, you're probably chilly, and if you're chilly uh, and you like Chelsea, World Soccer Shop has a couple of jackets on sale, which, uh, one, would keep you warm, but two, you would also look stylish sporting the club crest on your uh, your your chest in some area as you zip up and stay warm. So I think, Dan, Nick, you should go check those out. Dan, do you like the like the kind of retro look, or are you more kind of like stealth mode, like just, just the crest on the jacket and nothing else? I think it would be crest on the jacket. I think the, like the, are you talking about the Adidas Chelsea presentation jacket, 16, 17? I think that's a good option. I'm more of the retro guy though. Honestly, I love that old retro crest and I think I might go for that. Well, I think it is $20 off just like a couple of the other ones too. So definitely go check that out on worldsoccershop.com. Guys, combine that one with the $10 gift cards. We're going to make this so sweet for you. It is winter. You got to stay warm. So part two, we have some exciting things that have happened this week uh, for Chelsea. Uh, kicking it off, the stadium plans were approved by the Hammersmith and Fulham board on Wednesday. Glenn on Facebook says, when can Chelsea start to build their new stadium? Will Wembley be our stadium for the time uh, while they are building? Um, Liam, were you happened to be at that council meeting? I was, yes. I How was it? Exhilarating? I heard it was like four and a half hours long. <laughs> so there was a cashew problem too, according to Dan Levine. <laughs> that was, I think, specific to Dan Levine. Um, he was sitting <laughs> at the back of the room. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was far more interesting than I expected a council meeting to be. But it was purely because the subject matter what was what it was. It was, it, it was a little bit surreal. I was sat right next to, uh, or only a few seats away from Bruce Buck, Chelsea chairman and uh, and I think all through the night the the sense that you got from the Chelsea camp was that they were quietly confident it would get through uh, there were some very specific concerns raised by local councillors uh, very strangely specific ones about the drainage from the upper decking around the stadium but they didn't keep their cards close to their chest in terms of they all pretty much hinted that they were broadly in favour of the project and, uh, and then it all happened very quickly. Just after 10 p.m. UK time, they called a vote and it was it was unanimous. Uh, and, and then I, as I was leaving the building, I saw the stadium team go immediately to the nearest pub. So they were clearly, <laughs> they were clearly happy with the way things had gone. 
Oh, you have to be. I can't imagine, you know, going through all that work and then having to go back to Roman and saying, yeah, not quite ready. We need to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I mean, it's been years of work for them. And uh, I mean, it's only it's only just beginning, but the, the application was submitted in November 2015. So it's been 14 months from there to here. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Wembley, but the the timetable is still to be finalized, I think, on how everything's going to happen. Oh, yes. so Nick, we're not just going to start knocking it down tomorrow. Yeah, so I think maybe with since you're at this hearing, uh, you know, Dan Levine wrote some some pretty specific stuff because he's been following this project for a long time. But you know, I think for our fans, I kind of want to go through some of the finer details of like how this project then proceeds next because you know there's still some some final detail to be uh, figured out, right, Liam? Yes, there is. Um, one of the things is they have to get approval from the London Mayor uh, before they can go forward. So we got to do that. We got to get that step kind of knocked out. And from what I've read, it, it doesn't seem like that should be a, a big issue, correct? Yeah, no, most people are, aren't anticipating that would be a problem. I think London mayors tend to be in favor of big money-making projects. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, one of the uh, issues that was raised is is really just logistics about the area and the amount of fans in the area and transport, right? Yeah, the uh, the underground is a is a big issue. Uh, it's one of the issues that has limited the expansion of the stadium before because the train line runs right along the back of the stand. Um, they're talking about decking over that, but they need to work with London Underground to form different routes in and out of the stadium. At the moment, it's only Fulham Road that you can get access to Stamford Bridge from. They want to change that um, so there's at least two, three different ways. But that we don't yet know the... The exact plan they're still working with transport for london and london underground that network rail so once all this stuff gets kind of figured out these initial next steps then it comes down to kind of the financing of the actual project which you know we're we're not assuming that abramovich is going to self-fund correct well no i think the sense is that he's going to find partners um to to invest in it i think some of the money will come out of his pocket. Um, it certainly won't be at Chelsea's expense. That's very important. Uh, that's been clear from the start that this is an Abramovich-driven project, not a Chelsea one. So he will find partners to help fund it and um, and they'll go from there. But that process will be going along at the same time as, as they'll be working with local authorities and finalising logistic plans. And, you know, there's still a lot of admin to do before they even put a shovel into the ground, really. Right. And I think that, you know, for most timelines uh, that we're seeing possibly a 2022 or 2023 kind of uh, first season at the Newbridge, is that right? Yeah, it seems to be 2021, 22 is the kind of working estimate for the first season that the, the new stadium would be ready. So it would be um, a year before the move would be they'd start to demolish the buildings around Stamford Bridge. So the hotels and the bars and things. Um, and then the second phase of the demolition of the stadium itself, that would be three years factoring in the construction of the new stadium. And Chelsea would be somewhere else for that time, likely to be Wembley. I've, I've seen Twickenham as a possible location, but there's some obvious um, uh, objections from kind of local uh, residents. Is, is there any possibility that that could be um, a potential location? Yeah, I think uh, Chelsea originally expressed an interest in that, but 
while Twickenham residents are quite happy to have rugby fans on their doorstep um, several times a year for 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 major events, they don't really want a football team uh, nearby. I think that would be a, there's an acceptance at Chelsea that that would be a non-starter. Awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll we uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, in touch with you on this whole project, but very exciting, Brandon, to kind of see the the green light flicker on, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is exciting, guys. Uh, my girlfriend is an architect, and when she saw Herzog de Miron is on this project, they are one of the best in the world. They also did the the was it the the bird's nest in right. Beijing for the Olympics. So. Um, this is definitely going to be a statement piece as well as, um, you know, a football piece. So I'm really, really excited, obviously, to see see what happens. So uh, let's go ahead and transition into the January transfer window. Um, Dan at Chelsea Chat 1905 says, if Costa still wants to move by the summer, would you personally be willing to let him go? And who would your replacement be? Uh, no, he's got he's got two years left on a contract. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, should we should we tee this up with with Liam really quick and kind of get the the insider perspective on on what the hell should happened un- this week? Un- unravel the uh, <laughs> the the ball of wax that is the uh, the, the Costa Conte drama central twenty seventeen. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> here's what we know so far, or what we think we know. Um, Two, two English newspapers late on Friday, UK time, broke the story that Costa had fallen out with a Chelsea fitness coach um, over an injury, a back injury, and that Conte had intervened. Um, this was supposed to have taken place on Tuesday, and Conte had intervened on, on the side of his coach and banished Costa to train on his own for three days and then uh, excluded him from the squad that travelled to Leicester. Uh, we... What we don't know is well. We know we also know that there is an offer from China, a significant and lucrative offer from China. We don't know what club that is yet, although it's widely uh, reported to be Tianjin. Um, we don't know the precise terms exactly yet, but it's clear that that is in the backdrop and it's a significant part of the background of what has happened between Costa and Conte this week. Um, Conte was very careful with what he said in the post-match press conference about Costa it wasn't um he declined to say that Costa definitely has a future at Chelsea but he also said why why can't he play again so I think Chelsea they don't know how this is going to end no one really knows how this is going to end um so Chelsea are are keen to avoid burning any bridges but it's clear that there are some pretty significant problems um, between Costa and Chelsea and, and Costa and Conte. Dan, I saw the Instagram post though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good uh, social media manager at, at work, <laughs> earning earning their keep, hundred <laughs> percent. I think it, it's all about I think saving face and trying to I think eliminate outside noise so that you know really the two people need to get together in this moment. From my understanding, Liam, it's that Conte and Costa need to get together for the solve and the resolution so that the club can continue to move forward, uh, employing a great striker and effectively backing their, their coach and manager the right way. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think Conte 
I think Conte would like to keep Costa, <laughs> even the way things have gone, even the way things have gone this week. He's been the best player in the Premier League this season. Um, but it's difficult. They don't know the extent of his interest in this move to China in this window. Um, and they don't know how much he will. he's willing to push for it. They are determined not to sell him, even more determined than last summer when they fended off interest from Atletico Madrid. There are a million reasons why they don't need the money. There are 60 million that they got from Oscar reasons why they don't need the money. Um, so, and I think if they lose Costa now, with Costa, you would say Chelsea are clear favourites to win the league. I think without him, you can't necessarily be as confident in saying that if they if they have to play this false nine system every week. So They're determined to keep him, but... We really don't know how this is going to end at the moment. There's a lot of January left. Yeah, I think there there's a couple of scenarios that pop up in my head about this situation. One, if he's actually injured, which you know, kind of from all that I've inferred online and and via some chats with uh, with some of our friends over uh, across the pond, that you know, it very well could be an injury. But that's you know, kind of the least of everyone's concerns with this situation. If he's injured, you know, no problems you know, get back into the team when you're healthy. Uh, I think, though, the main issue is is not with China, but with Conte, because uh, Conte is, uh, from what we've seen, very much kind of a my way or the highway kind of guy. And uh, this is not the first blow up that they've had. They've also shared a lot of really good moments. So I, I just, cost is such an enigma and is so easily distracted that I can't imagine Liam that that would be really fun for Antonio Conte to try and man manage well but I think he's quite enjoyed uh, managing him so far this season there's always been a tension between them as you say but it's been a very much a creative tension so far this season and it's it's been one that's got the best out of Costa um, they they will have their flare-ups from time to time they did in the Leicester game at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season when mm-hmm when Costa requested to be taken off. But uh, I, I think even if Costa were to stay there, this wouldn't be the last incident like this. Perhaps it might be the last incident as serious as this. But it's the, uh, I think in isolation, the argument they're not too worried about, it's the, the serious and lucrative in, interest from China that is causing concern in Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I got to figure that Costa was probably already in line for a pay increase of sorts, especially after his performance this season rebounding. Uh, do, you, do you have any feeling on this China offer potentially just being used maybe as a leverage point to ensure that whatever does maybe get offered, you know, kind of meets or matches maybe with the financial desires of Diego Costa? Well, I can see what you, yeah, I can, I can see the logic in that, although... I don't think it will be that effective because Chelsea, if the terms are as reported, Chelsea can't compete with what Mm. the Chinese clubs are offering. I mean, the terms that have been reported over half a million pounds a week, 30 million pounds a year, it would make Costa the highest paid player in the world by some margin. So um, Chelsea were definitely keen and I, I presume still would be keen to tie Costa down to a new deal as they are for Thibaut Courtois. Both are contracted until 2019. Um, it's difficult. I don't, I don't think it's a leverage play. I, I don't know what this is yet. I don't don't know any of us know exactly what this is yet. But it's. I don't think it's a contract leverage play. 
it's pretty interesting obviously you know for us it, it just kind of came out of nowhere but it sounded like maybe there's a little bit more involved to it you know conte said in the press conference over and over i'm telling you the truth no one's saying he's not we're just thinking it might not be the whole truth and we totally understand why he's not going to air this out you know obviously dimitri paye west ham slavin village that did get aired out that was his strategy um, but I think it's a little bit different. Chelsea seem to be a lot more firm on keeping cost. And why wouldn't you? I mean, you're on the perfect road to pick up the trophy, you know, for the Premier League this season, potentially Golden Boot, even player of the season. It just, it, you just kind of baffles you. But, you know, at the same time, myself, you know, I've never lived in another country uh, for a long period of time plying my trade. And we know he's always been a little unsettled living in London. So I think that, you know, maybe something just kind of boiled over. He had a bad day, maybe a bad couple of days. And this is just Diego Costa, his energy and passion. And this time it's not necessarily for Chelsea, it's for himself. Uh, so we'll have to kind of stay posted and see how it goes. But again, um, let's just do a quick plug. Liam, where should they follow you on Twitter to stay up to date on all of this Diego Costa stuff? Sure. Well, um, I'm going to try and stay across this story over the coming weeks, but my Twitter handle is at Liam underscore to me. All right. We will retweet it. Obviously we've tagged him in some posts as we lead up today, but you guys will be at it. Um, we just spent a lot of time on the Diego Costa stuff, but I think it was important. So let's just pick out a couple of these questions. Um, Here's an interesting one from at double Dan 09. We're going to send this to you, Dan. You guys might have a connection on this. If Costa goes, could Defoe be the Band-Aid replacement until we go buying in the summer? Wow. Are we going to start getting issued more penalties? Because uh, if that's the case, then yeah, sure. <laughs> He's really good at converting those. Uh, Sunderland are trying to not get relegated, so I, I don't foresee them wanting to give up their uh, their main striker. So no, it's not. I, I think you would be more we look more inclined to play hazard up front in absence of, of costa and i think that's what would continue then i think you would see you know the option for for mishi to potentially get some more minutes filling in uh in, in that type of system which uh you know i think would also make some some people very happy that way so i, I don't think you go out to find a different solution i think you look inward on that one nick is defoe worse of a panic buy or like a like a band-aid than a toe yeah i mean i I just don't (laughs) i don't understand how that would work if you're sunderland like here's the thing for a for a transfer to be made you have to have a buyer and you have to have a seller and i don't think that sunderland are in a position to sell anybody i mean dear god like liam they're their their fans walked out in the first half yesterday it was brutal that's no, true. Defoe's goals are the only thing keeping Sunderland in the league. They'd be cutting their own throats if they sold him, regardless of the price. There you next, go. Ne- yeah, let's just consider that. Uh, next up from Navaneeth on Facebook says, considering Alonso's performance today, does Ake have any shot at breaking into the first team lineup or will he just bide his time on the bench for the rest of the season? Uh, Nick, you know, we said if Conte is going to bring him back from a loan where he's playing consistently – I bet he's going to make every effort to give him a shot. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see him. Um, you know, we, we're still in the FA Cup, which is good. And I think we'll see him in the league if we have a couple of games on the trot. I mean, I think 
the flexibility that he offers at three different positions uh, will not go unnoticed the rest of the year. And there's a good potential uh, for him to kind of find his new home uh, for the next couple of years during this time period. Liam, I mean, we kind of talked about okay a little bit, but again, um, as far as like Conte's talked about him, which you've kind of seen, have you seen him train yet? Have you had that that luxury? No, um, we're not generally allowed to watch training, um, unfortunately. Uh, I think Conte is quite protective of his whole of his tactical preparation, but he brought Ake back for a reason. That move, that move was driven by him rather than the club. Um, I think he values his versatility to cover in a few positions. But my personal feeling, even though Conte hasn't explicitly said it yet, is I think he has been brought back to at least compete with Alonso for that wing-back spot. I think uh, Conte thinks he can he can maybe get a better defender at that position. Um, whether Alonso is pushed to improve or whether that's Ake, we'll see. But uh, I think he, he likes him. I kind of feel sorry for him, though, because I feel that whatever happens, he'll play less now than he would have done staying at Bournemouth for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that that is a safe bet. Maybe William Hill will get on that. Uh, just saying. Um, last one we've got from uh, Brian Drums. He asked, with the recall of Ake, as well as Zuma coming back to fitness and Terry healthy, is a new player on the back line still a position of need? So I actually want to open this up to each of you and just say, now that we have some defensive cover, we talked about that being a big one. Where are Chelsea looking to reinforce in the last couple of weeks, assuming Costa stays and everything is is smoothed over? Dan, what do, what do you think? Still need a backup uh, striker? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm available. I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take two hundred thousand a week if uh, Costa <laughs> is going to get a raise somewhere else. Um, mid- midfield, I think there's you know always benefits to having strong midfields, rotational players. Um, you know, obviously that would mean, you know, challenging for time for Chaloba, but you know, I, I think that that would be where I would look. I think defensively, we got some good backfill with Zuma right now. Nick, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I think we're looking up top regardless. Um, and, and maybe this is a good opportunity for Liam to kind of shed any light on potential transfer rumors that he's hearing that aren't in the papers. But I, I mean, I think we have to, you know, if Mishi's not the preferred option and we don't feel confident enough with him in there to kind of play that solo role, then, uh, you know, Liam, do we do we go out and find another uh, striker in that position? I think Conte would quite like a, a different type of uh, striker. I think Llorente, the, the reports there sort of explain that he would like a more f- physical number nine um, to com- sort of an in-between for Costa and Batshuayi. I think he'd like another sort of do-it-all midfielder, central midfielder in the mould of a Kante, although you're not going to get someone that good, and Matic. Uh, and maybe a cover for Moses at right wing back, I think. Defensively, especially central defence, they've got more than enough bodies now to see them through until May. All right. Uh, personally, you know, I actually think that Chelsea, it's crazy, are in a lot stronger of a position than we were even a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, it just seems like we don't have a great alternative for a, for a backup striker. And if you get to the end of the game and you need to throw a second one on, um, it, it would be interesting to have someone. So we'll, we'll kind of see what they have. I know Chelsea were linked with that. Isn't he a bit of a battling box-to-box midfielder from Monaco recently? But then all of a sudden, it seems like everyone else in, in the top flight is going after him as well. 
happens, right? I mean, why wouldn't the other top clubs want a good up and coming player? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as probably, um, I think, uh, I think you're talking about Bakayoko, aren't you at Monaco? Yeah. Um, I think that that could be a, an instance of an agent um, putting things out there to, to stoke up some interest, but there's certainly usually, usually the, the top four or five clubs in the premier league uh, end up going after the same few players. <laughs> Except Arsenal, but anyways. Um, <laughs> Nick, you've got one last question from your boy at SP Beal. What, uh, it's specifically, I think, to, to Liam, so I'll let you ask. Yeah, so my, my boy SP Beal in the show notes again. Uh, what do you think is Conte's favorite type of cake? I mean, this is the question that uh, you know, everyone's been looking forward to. We need your, your expert opinion, Liam. Mm, it's a tricky one. Um, he did... I mean, we have had some recent evidence he did gravitate towards the coffee cake at Leicester, despite the uh, despite the chocolate orange number that I sampled myself pre-match <laughs> that was very, very impressive. Um, I think, yeah, coffee cake is, I, I think that's quite popular in Italy, isn't it? I'd, I'd say that's the, that's, the, that's the clubhouse leader at this point, but I, I, I stand to be corrected as the season goes on. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much, uh, Liam, especially for dropping the knowledge bombs on the Diego Costa as well as the January transfers. Uh, we appreciate it. We even appreciate your guys' questions even more. Again, sorry we didn't have time to get to everybody, but, man, Diego Costa, the stadium plans, there's just so much going on this last week. So let's go ahead and wrap up this episode with the match preview as Chelsea will be taking on whole city premier league action at stanford bridge this coming sunday january 22nd so whole have a new manager and they're enjoying the bump in form but it pretty much every team gets it's kind of crazy actually how often this happens last time we played whole city was our switch to the 343 formation where we won two nothing and created 17 chances that's right i'm stuck on that stat this episode <laughs> Is there any concern here that Hull might surprise us, Nick? Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, they're still kind of a thin squad. Um, Abel Hernandez played pretty well um, this weekend, so I think you know, for on the right side, I think that's a concern for Cahill. But uh, you know, this should be you know one of those chalk it up wins. Uh, you know, if we if you don't, if you slip the hole, then you know there's some concern, but. You know, Dan, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, that's what I saw from their performance this weekend. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, a, a Nathan Oculus Bournemouth uh, dispatched by Hall. So, uh, you know, ultimately, I think, again, it should be three points. It should be another opportunity to continue to reduce that magic number down and put Chelsea in a better spot to continue really to put the pressure on, on Tottenham and Liverpool to continue to win their games. Um, yeah, we have a little bit of a, a buffer and a cushion, and, and they don't at the moment. Thus, our holes form is not fantastic. Chelsea have, you know, pretty much won every single match that we've played against Hull in the in the recent history, Liam. But you know, you're the expert, obviously. Um, you've seen Hull try to play. Um, it looks like Chelsea are back to their winning ways um what are you kind of thinking about or maybe some things you're going to be looking into as this week progresses for this match i think it's a it's a more difficult game than it was even a couple of weeks ago certainly more difficult than than the match that started chelsea's winning run hull had 
by that stage already lost their way under Mike Phelan. Um, that Marco Silva, there have been some interesting pieces written about him in the English, English press over the last week or so. I'm going to read a few of those um, as part of my pre-match prep. But he seems to be a very capable uh, manager, very good at tactically organising his teams. But it's still a game Chelsea should win. And with the next two games afterwards, or the next two league games afterwards being Liverpool away and Arsenal at home, it's a game that they really need to win to, to keep the momentum going. That's true. Um, it's it's definitely all about momentum heading into those matches and keeping that lead up at where it's been. Um, you know, I think that we're going to see a, another consistent lineup. Obviously, this is a big week to see Chelsea go back to training on Tuesday. We'll see if anything has developed with the Costa or Costa Conte uh, development situation and I'm sure that will play a bit of a part in it but even if you play the fluid three up top with that movement and their capabilities I think that they'll be able to create plenty of chances against Hull's back line so uh, with that being said gentlemen let's go ahead and wrap this up with some final thoughts uh, again everyone thank you for your questions uh, thank you for your guys's emails we appreciate it we read them we respond as quickly as possible. So again, I would just encourage you guys to head to the website. We always have awesome match previews, reviews, and other articles throughout the week. Um, check it out. Uh, Dan, your final thought for this week. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was, uh, I was chatting with uh, Tracy, who's one of the individuals who is involved with the uh, Chelsea Pride Group, which is kind of a, a subset of uh, Chelsea's initiative through uh, building bridges to, uh, you know, obviously uh, kind of increase the uh, inclusion and uh, support diversity throughout uh, not just the game, but also for fans too. And uh, they are uh, working on getting a little meeting together uh, for those who are interested in uh, doing so. You can look for them uh, under Chelsea Pride on Facebook and Twitter, uh, but they're doing some really cool stuff, great efforts, and uh, really doing some nice work to, again, kind of expand the, uh, expand the game the, the right way for, uh, for enjoyment for everyone. Nick, what about you, sir? Yeah, it's a fantastic initiative, Dan. Uh, I think there are a couple of things I want to call out. First and foremost would be for the Chelsea pitch owners who uh, put in so much time, effort, thought, and and even a little bit of fight against the club uh, four years ago uh, to come out of Wednesday's ruling uh, from the board on, on having a stadium approved at Stamford Bridge in that location. I think it's just fantastic, and it shows – a lot of people that fighting for the right thing can be worth it. Uh, so I think everyone involved in that uh, just has to be given a tremendous amount of credit. And uh, so I think we're all, we're all proud of them for their effort there. And then the second is kind of a cheeky little joke from our friend, Dan Levine, uh, who tweeted yesterday uh, in a uh, kind of a, a sub tweet little way said back from Lester, just in time for the last orders at the Chinese takeaway. Unusual, unusual order, but hold the 19 and give me a double serving of three. And I thought that was perfect. Yeah, he's <laughs> man. Dan's good at that stuff. We love him. We should get him back on the pod sometime soon, guys. What do you think? Yep. All right. Uh, most importantly, though, Liam, since you're here, we would love to hear the best way to follow you and make sure we don't miss any of your articles, as well as uh, maybe something that's coming up this week that we should be on the lookout for. Um, I think the best way to follow me would just be on Twitter. Everything I write for ESPN goes through there. And, and 
do video as well, but that all go, comes through my Twitter. So stay across that. And this week will will just be about Costa, no doubt. The circus goes on, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll see some significant developments one way or the other. But I'd just like to echo what Nick said that um, regardless of what happens with the Costa thing, I think Chelsea fans should uh, be of the mind that players come and go. But the biggest thing to happen this week was the the stadium announcement. Um, because it's it secures the the future of Chelsea as a as the club of the size that we all know now. And uh, if the CPO hadn't fought so hard, particularly in 2011, holding firm to keep the freehold of the stadium, that this wouldn't have happened this week. So it was a huge development and one that uh, will go down in the history of Chelsea. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us, Liam. It is fantastic to meet you. Our fans are going to love it. Hopefully uh, you get some more engagement over here in the U.S. and our other countries uh, that we have listening to us. But Chelsea fans, guys, that's a wrap. We had a jam-packed episode, no shortage of drama and awesome news going on. So make sure to tweet at us. Let us know what you thought was the most interesting thing to happen with the stadium announcement. Obviously, what you think is going to happen with the Diego Costa situation. Hey, we've got Hull coming up, so you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Until next time, keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.